You sure? Yeah. Oh, Klein sounds salty. Welcome to South Jersey Girls. I'm Klein Aliardi. I'm Jane Feld. I'm Elise Notariani. And I'm Marianne Aliardi. When I brought this topic up, uh, two people got very intense about a specific idea of whether or not cheerleading is a sport. Well, it's not. Just I'll let Elise start. I don't, I don't understand what is very sporty about it other than the fact that you are adjacent to a sport. I mean, I don't oh totally gosh. disagree with you. <laughs> That's not but true. Cheerleaders were very hard. Do you feel that way because you were physical. a cheerleader? I was a cheerleader because that was my only option. There was nothing else for a girl to do. There were nothing no- else? Wait, not stop. I mean, I'm not that much younger than you. There were yeah. no other sports that you were allowed to play at your school? No. No. So this was the 70s. This was before, you know, like, I don't know, movements happened. There, in my neighborhood where I grew up, there were no girls' sports. Like, the only thing girls could do was cheerlead. And so that's what I did. But cheerlead, I mean, do you think gymnastics is a sport? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, yeah, I think oh. if you look at a lot of the cheerleading teams, that's what they do. Wow. Well, I think not all cheerleading teams do that. No, okay. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm dissing cheerleaders. I think cheerleading is great. I think if that's what you're into, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely difficult. I could never be a cheerleader, Uh but that doesn't make it a sport. No, but wait, we have, we have to make the distinction. You're saying that the teams who compete and they have heavy gymnastics, that is a sport. You would say yes. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. I don't think that just because they do heavy duty stuff makes it a sport. I think if you're competing as a cheerleading group and that's like just all you're doing, competing against each other, that's a sport. But if you're on the sidelines of another sport, then that's encouragement. I don't I don't know what to call that. <laughs> I'm not trying to diminish it, but I'm also not trying to say it's a sport. <laughs> um, all right, I do want to clarify one thing about cheerleading. While I did cheerlead, my daughter my three daughters never did. Because I, I always say to them, I don't want you on the sidelines. You should be out there playing. I didn't so would that. you have let your kids do that competitive cheerleading then? Um, I would have let them do gymnastics. Okay. But you sure? Because yeah. I was pulled out of gymnastics. Oh, Klein sounds salty. <laughs> oh my gosh. When Klein was so bizarre. I had the chance. <laughs> she was four. She, I took her to just do gymnastics for fun. And they, they asked if she could be on their elite team at four. And they, I was great. Because she was great, yeah. She, um, she would have had to go to practice every day from like nine to 12. And I said, she's in school. And they were like, well. It's preschool. It's not that important. Oh, it's so ridiculous. You could have been homeschooled. Yeah, you could homeschool oh me. Come on. By who, me? Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Stuff like that where it's like you're so young and you are going to this super elite thing. I There's a part of me that's kind of like if you're if that's not what you're going to do for your sport, it should just be your hobby. And it's not. It sh- like, I don't understand. So you should make that decision at four? Yeah. <laughs> did did yeah. not everyone have their entire life figured out at the age of yeah. four? <laughs> I should have been like, Klein, tell me now, do you want gymnastics to be your main sport? Do you want to go to the Olympics? <laughs> She's like, I'd no. like lunch now, please. Thank you. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so I had um my my cousin who's now like 27. He 
played hockey. Like he made the junior hockey team and they lived in Voorhees and he would have to go to Aston, Pennsylvania every day after school. And oh my God. Yeah, it's a hall. See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, but he yeah. really, really wanted it. And like he thought up until the end that he would he would be D1 and it ended for two reasons. One of them is he got a concussion and it was really scary. And I mean, he was fine, but it kind of made him rethink. And two, it's so competitive um, that even though he was in junior hockey, which is like a level below um, being into the, the professional circuit, they wanted him to play on a junior hockey team in, in Canada. And a couple of guys on his team went there to do that yeah. to try to get into the pros, but he just went to college and is kind of done. Well, I think yeah. if you would want, if you, I would think if you want to go to the pros for hockey, you have to go into Canada is a really good place to go. Yeah, but if you're thinking right? you want to play in in college and then move on with your life, um, yeah, it's not so much. Like, I knew yeah. someone in college who played, I think like D one soccer she was going to be a senior and I was talking to her about her looking for a first job and like her resume was just soccer and it was like okay that's gonna be difficult for you then to find a job. Oh I I totally disagree with that because I when I was working in marketing I had interns and I hired I think 24 interns in the time that I was there and my best ones were always like D1. That's so many interns first of all. (laughs) (laughs) Did they have work experience too? Some of them did. Some of them was just leadership, like leadership on campus yeah. or leadership in, in their sport. And But I always found yeah. that athletes were some of the best employees that I ever had because they Definitely. were really organized. They were really driven. Um, they thought creatively. They worked well as a team. I always looked for that. Yeah, Definitely. I totally, I did that too when I was looking for interns, but I feel like there's a difference between interns and your first real world job. Because like when I'm working with interns, it's kind of like what you're saying, like you want the discipline and the work ethic. But once you make that jump to like an entry level job, you need like skills that are relevant in your field. Well, if they were a good intern, wasn't that their skills relevant in their field? I'm so I'm saying this girl like what hadn't really interned. She had like one internship. She did well. Dude, when you play college level sports, it's hard to do anything else. That's what yeah. I'm saying. You're just practicing all the time, right? You know, if you if you remember when we talked to Carly Carly Lloyd, she had said that she was always kicking a soccer ball like always she didn't go to birthday parties she didn't want to play with friends there are very I I don't think I know any kids who have that kind of passion about a sport it's really rare and that's I think if you have that then you should yeah sure yeah but but most kids whose parents are putting them into all kinds of you know extra training things they don't necessarily have that kind of sport that kind of passion I'm dreaming of some having esports kids, so I can just send them down to the basement, and that's my dad. Oh my gosh! Okay, so there, that we can talk about if that's a sport. Do you even know what that is, Mom? I, it's basically playing video games, right? That's yeah. That's, for me, that's a stretch. Like legitimately, you can make a lot of money doing this. You can be the best, and that's great. But the rest of them, they're just literally in their basement, like with sallow skin, and like it <laughs> late at night. Lacking uh, throwing shots at the esport wannabes. Yeah. <laughs> when you're talking about like being addicted to a sport, like if you're addicted to, 
If you're playing basketball all the time, that doesn't seem as bad as being addicted to video games. I don't know. I think it's pretty bad. I think that, that's so, well, yeah. Basketball, I, like you can't play it at night legitimately in the middle of the night on a snowstorm. Y- yes, you can. It's yeah. harder. No, but that's, but that's exactly what I mean. Like you, you shouldn't be devoting every second of every day to, to one thing. Like that's just, yeah. you know, that's but just not a good idea. People who do that are few and far between i think the yeah i agree like not everyone's carly lloyd of the world like i listen to carly lloyd speak and i'm like you are oh. awesome and i will oh, never yeah. be anything like you yeah 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 <laughs> it's interesting to me that people want to play in college because it's so demanding i didn't play sport in college i stopped after high school um but i have four sisters and all four of them went to school on um field hockey scholarships Three wow but where were you in all this <laughs> I played, so I played field hockey until eighth grade and then decided there was nothing I wanted to do less than hang out with my sister. <laughs> so I quit that oh and I went gosh. to tennis, which I was really mediocre at, but I had fun. Ah. Um, yeah, but you can still play tennis. That's what's great about that's that. That's true. It was, that's true. I have a question because I just read in our December issue, uh, something that someone said that tennis, she never dates tennis players because they're too competitive. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, tennis players are slightly nuts. And I don't say this in like a bad way, but <laughs> you know, they're just intense. And you know, it's just them out there on the court and they just bring that mentality into everyday life with them. And it's Oh un- my god. <laughs> um I would never think that. Oh yeah, just be wary. I kind of get players it. seem like quiet. Some the entire are. match, they're like yelling when they hit the ball. The amount of like death threats that I have heard from across the court, not toward me, because I was never at that level, but when you get <laughs> good, it's it's a whole wow. But my sisters loved uh, playing sports. Do you think they feel they had a college experience like most people? Yeah, they, I, they had a good time. The they, one pro to all of that is that you do have a community. Um, actually, I was texting, I met... Uh, my friend's girlfriend's sister the other day, and she was telling me that she's going to school um, for field hockey at where my sister went to school. And she was asking about the coach and everything. And I texted my sister, Katie, and she goes, the coach is uh, the best woman that I've ever met. She changed so much about my life, um, but she will also make you feel fear for your life at every moment. She's Ooh, the most wow. terrible. That's about right. She will change you. And I was like, okay, wow. that sounds awful. <laughs> Last month, we released a series of interviews with some incredible South Jersey women as part of our Women's Empowerment Series. You can find all of those interviews at sjmagazine.net. This is one of the interviews I did with New Jersey's First Lady, Tammy Murphy. Hi, Tammy. How are you? It is so great to see you. It is fantastic to see you as well, Marianne, and thank you for having me. Sure. So we're going to talk about maternal health infant and maternal health, which I know is um, an issue that you're working on. Tell me why. Why are you focusing on that? Well, I'll tell you, when when Phil first came into office, um, we found out that New Jersey was 47th in the country in terms of maternal mortality at rates. And by the way, 47th in the country, the United States overall is 55th in the world. So it wow. is, it is that's, it's shocking. And yeah. As a mother, as, as a mother of four, as a, a, it, it seemed like something that really grew me it, it, it personally. And I wanted to see if I could somehow help move the needle in this space. And I naively went into this thinking that it would be um, access to care. 
And mm. if we could just provide access to care, then, then we would solve this, this problem. Um, and clearly that has not been the case. And, and the statistics are very troubling. Yeah. So do you know what is causing it if it's not access to care? When you dig down and really understand what's going on and where who is being impacted the most, you'll mm -hmm. see that sadly, if you are a black woman in the state of New Jersey, you are seven times more likely than a white woman to die uh, from maternity-related complications. And if you are a black baby, you are three times more likely than a white baby to die from uh, before your first birthday. Or, once one knows those kind of staggeringly horrific uh, statistics in the yeah. year 2020. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, maybe the silver lining from this pandemic is that people actually have seen, yes, there are inequities. We have, yeah. they've, been, they've been laid bare and there's no denying that anymore. But once you, once you understand that that's where we are, you then start to say, well, well how can that be? You know, is it, is it, you know, what is it? And it unfortunately, um, it is a combination of, of many things coming together at one time. It's, it's access to housing, it's access to workforce development, to education, to transportation, to finding doctors who will take Medicaid. I mean, childcare. I mean, it's, it's so many things that are coming together in one place. Um, and, and I have to put it out there, it is institutional discrimination and racism. You know, Serena Williams and Beyonce, two powerful women of color who are, are role models for so many across mm -hmm. this world, uh, those two with their incredible platforms both had near death scenarios when they were delivering. And, you know, the fact that they could not be heard and communicate with their healthcare providers just, just goes to show, can you imagine if you didn't have that platform and you didn't have that confidence that what, what would happen to you? So, yeah. you know, Camden and Atlantic, and Atlantic City are two of our, of our most challenging hotspots, I would say. And when you're wealthy, you certainly have a different healthcare uh, scenario than when you're not. And, and then yeah. when you're living in some of these urban centers that are really challenged, it, 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 just, it just builds on one another. Yeah, that was really shocking for me because to have Camden Atlantic City so close to where I live and where our, our readers and listeners live, mm -hmm. no one thinks that that's happening. Like, you know, women are so active in protecting each other around here. I feel like once they start finding out, as you are showing us, they'll start doing more because no one thinks women and infants are dying near us in such great numbers. So Marianne, I, I actually, knowing that I was gonna be speaking to you, I, I actually have some statistics on Atlantic City and Camden that I would love to share with you. Sure. So, um, Atlantic City and Camden, um, Atlantic City has a black infant mortality rate of 24.2%. Uh, and Camden has 16%. So clearly Atlantic City is the, is the highest incidence of black infant mortality of any, of any urban center across New Jersey. Wow. Uh, in terms of preterm births, uh, the state average for preterm births is, is 12%. In Atlantic City and Camden, both, it's 13%. Wow. Uh, and then, and then here, another one that's really, really a challenge for us, but we are addressing is, is uh, elective C-sections. And we have um, an average across the, across the state, which is, which is too high already, of 37%. This is from going back to 2018. But in Atlantic City, it's 47%. Wow. Hampton, it's 25%. So the, there are some things at play here that are, are, are really disturbing. Yeah. So in Atlantic City, is that saying almost half of births are C-sections? Well, when in the state, it's only a quarter 
of birth. It's a state, it's 37%. Oh, 37, a little over. Okay, wow. Even that, even that's too high. I mean, it is high. Um, and then if you if you look at the numbers, so for example, um, the number of black C-sections is 46%. So, and then white C-sections in, in, in Atlantic City is, is, is in the low 30s. So there's a lot of things at play here. And, and, and yeah. 20 minutes will not enable me to tell you everything that yeah. they're looking at. But I will just tell you, there are some disturbing statistics. Yeah. And, and we, should all, we should all understand that and, and, and not deny that there is some, um, you know, it's not a level playing Yeah. Do you find when people see these numbers, do they still deny or do you, I mean, it's right there in front of you. Do they get it? You know, at this point in time, I think for, you know, I've been going around for, for since Phil came into office, just talking yeah. to everyone and all the, the great, all the great stakeholders across our state who are working in this space. And is there a certain disbelief? Yes. I think there's also, when, when I say it, people are just surprised they're surprised they, they can't yeah. believe that that's what the numbers are but but what when i say it no one's saying that that's not right no one's challenging me and saying you're 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 skewing something yeah. that's not true so yeah good well hopefully that will help move things yeah. along along those lines how do you possibly even begin to fix that problem you know we have been working for three years in this space doing what we can to kind of not only address the here and now but also try and look to the future so we have a whole bunch of initiatives out of my office, ranging from um, we have an annual Black uh, Maternal and Infant Health Leadership Summit that we hold right. Um, right. That, that is really helpful because we bring all the stakeholders together. Um, we have something called Family Festivals. We've had six of these across New Jersey. We had one in Atlantic City. We've had one in Camden. And this is where we literally bring state, county, and local resources together under one roof. Think kind of half block party and half job fair. And uh, I mean, that's the, that's because we try to make it fun because it's a little bit daunting for these people. And and and, and yet um, we've been able to help 6000 families over the course of those mm. six festivals. And and that's really important because it's interesting because I was concerned we're going to run in and deal with one moment in time and then leave. And what are we leaving behind? It turns right. out the most interesting piece of this is at each of these at each of these family festivals, we have over 100 providers and mm. I, to watch the providers say, hey, Marianne, what do you do exactly? Because I had a client last week who needed X. Is that something you do? And then you see all these people exchanging cards. And so it's really nice. creating a, a network, I think, that will will live beyond it. But so we've right. got we've got the we've got the summit, we've got the family festivals, we've done a lot of things on on um, on social media, particularly in times of COVID, in terms of yeah. trying to interview an OBGYN, interview a doula and trying to um, ask questions and we had people online who could who could ask you know find out um, what, whatever answers they wanted and ask questions of us um, those are still yeah. will still exist on our social media by the way if anybody's interested in that and Great. then the probably another piece um, another piece of the puzzle is is that we had interdepartmental meetings when we started out on this project years ago there were two departments and agencies involved um, obviously Department of Health and Children and Family Services mm -hmm. today 18 different departments and agencies come together four times a year with me to uh, to, to work on in this space and to discuss how we can collaborate and find ways that we can um, you know work together going forward and, and where there's overlap and deficiencies. But but I'm leading up to probably our biggest thing and that is that we have a group of called the New Jersey um, Funders Collaborative who has worked with us in support of a lot of these initiatives. They here and now are helping us as we pull together a strategic plan. Um, this is uh, a plan that has brought together 
national consultants who are who have been working this in this space for for decades. They are helping us to actually, um, you know, our, our goal is to make New Jersey the safest uh, and uh, safest place to deliver and um, raise a baby, safest and most equitable place in the United yeah. States. Uh, but yeah. That plan is has been underway. It's been um, we, we've been working on it for a year, and we are really excited because we are going to unveil that in January. Oh, great! So, does what you're doing are there programs for providers who really, if there's this bias, that's where it's coming from? Are you are you addressing that? So, I, I think yes. The answer is yes, and it's not just me. I mean, I mean, the beauty, I'd say, Marianne, of this whole of of, of what we're doing is. I cannot say I cannot say that often enough. There are really good people and organizations in New Jersey who have been working in this space, but have been working in silos. Yeah. yeah. And the fact of the matter is, you know, the New Jersey Funders Collaborative, which I already referenced, they have come together and helped us with all of these initiatives. They're helping us with this with the strategic plan, which is phenomenal. Um, the the legislators, uh, there have been 32 pieces of legislation passed in this space since we started working in this space. I, I will tell you. You know, the, the budget that Phil has, has just signed um, has money that's set aside for Nurture New Jersey, which is fantastic, of course. That's something that's obviously near and dear to my heart. Um, also sets aside um, funds to help with reimbursement for midwives, which builds upon some of the work that we did last year, because last year we were working with doulas. And also, mm -hmm. importantly, to your point, um, sets aside a, a good amount of money to go into every single one of our labor and delivery hospitals and all of our FQHCs and, and train people about implicit bias, um, which is which is obviously super important. Um, yeah. But most importantly, you know, this speaks volumes about the about the priorities of this administration and of the legislature that this is a priority. This is something we must fix. We cannot tolerate this anymore. And so they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're actually helping. Yeah. I think we saw that from day one, really, that the governor had women's issues at the forefront. So, okay, you, you mentioned the leadership summit for Black maternal health. Yes, um, we, this is the third annual leadership summit that we've held. Um, usually the last the, the two years prior, we held them at Bronkwacket. Um, obviously for given times of COVID, we had a virtual uh, gathering this time. Yeah. Um, it has grown in size over time. This year we had uh, over 200 people who stayed engaged via Zoom platform for over five hours. So, wow. Yeah. So, um, and this is, this is bringing together all stakeholders. It's bringing together, you know, um, healthcare systems with legislators, with commissioners, with doulas, with uh, foundations, uh, with importantly moms. The New Jersey Funders Collaborative really helped us because they enabled us to um, provide transportation for moms to be able to join us. And, and basically, what we do is we um, we have some you know we have some speeches, but the but the real meat and potatoes of it is that we break people into rooms in this instance, um, and everyone works on an actionable plan for their particular space so that they can figure out how they're going to actually implement the strategic plan when we unveil it next month. And um, it's really fascinating to watch because, you know, most of the time, Marianne, you'll find, you know, the healthcare systems might speak to another healthcare system, but they're not necessarily speaking to the legislators and a doula and a mom yeah. and an insurance provider and, you know, all these other stakeholders who are involved at the same time. And so when you have, when you have a problem that's presented and you have everyone around the table who can bring their different vantage point to the, to the fore, it's really productive. 
and it's, it's, yeah. it's really rewarding, I think, for everybody involved. So yeah, it seems so obvious, right? That we have all these key players, none of them talking to each other. It seems like, yeah, that might be a good idea if we have them all talk to each other. Good momentum, by the way, because when the strategic plan gets rolled out, all of these people were tremendously enthusiastic. After the fact, the, the funders were thrilled with it. You know, we've had all, all the people who are involved have reached out and said that was really productive, really excited, and can't wait for the strategic plan to be, to be uh, presented. Great, great. So for uh, a regular woman listening, is there something she can do? The biggest thing is, is making people aware yeah. And, and, you know, I think that there are, we have a lot of um, social media outlets. We have a lot of, of platforms that people can go to and educate themselves because I think that the more people talk about this, then yeah. the, the faster we're going to solve this because we, we can't do it on our own. We need everybody to buy into this in order for us to, to really change um, the space that we're in. I really think the more women find out about this, the more you will see change because it's certainly something they want to do. I, I, I think you are absolutely right. Um, and, and certainly when, when I talk to people, when they are not aware, once they are aware, they, they do want to help in whatever ways they can. Well, thank you. It is always wonderful to talk to you. This is such a great initiative. I, it's I, awesome. I, I, I'm really I'm thrilled that you have me here. And I want to just um, share with you, I was, I was grabbing my, my paper because I never remember the platform. So I want to just share the okay. platforms with you, if that's OK. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so on Twitter and Facebook, it's if you go to at First Lady NJ, find okay. all these things we're talking about. Um, on Instagram, it's at First Lady New Jersey, and our website is nj.gov/backslash/nurture_nj. Okay, that's um, great. And and the last thing I would say is that our goal is to make New Jersey the safest and most equitable place to not only deliver a baby but to raise a child, and that is that's our goal, and that's where we're that's where we're heading. That's great. It's everyone's goal, you would think, right? So thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Marianne. It was so great talking to the First Lady. I can't believe those statistics, and I'm, I know women will help when they hear about that. I know. I had no idea about any of that. It, it's shocking. I know. There is so much more information on our interviews for the Women's Empowerment Series, which you can find at sjmagazine.net. And if you want to hear more from us, uh, make sure to subscribe. We're out every Tuesday. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.